Join Rabbi Ari Shishler for some fresh thinking every Thursday from 2 to 3 p.m. 101.9 High FM, 101.9 megahertz of power. Very warm welcome to you. It is Thursday afternoon and fresh thinking time. Hope that you're thinking fresh. Slowly, slowly, I'm looking around here. Slowly, slowly, this uh, whole new Chai FM is coming together. Studio's looking quite well put together. Craig's looking on top of his game. And uh, just got to get used to the protocols of getting into this place. Sometimes takes a little bit longer. But it's all good. Good things are happening. So I want to ask you a question. I'm going to throw out a, uh, I don't know if it's philosophical, maybe Maybe a little bit philosophical, but just ask a question, and I'd like to hear your thoughts on this particular question. That will launch us into a conversation. So the question goes like this. What happens if somebody gets, if somebody has a really good idea, whatever that good idea is, something that's uh, a, a brilliant initiative, something that could change and improve people's lives, something that will make the world a better place, or it could even just be something much simpler. person has an idea about, you know, I don't know, what you could have for so-and-so's birthday party, whatever it is. Somebody comes up with an idea, and they share that idea with other people, and they even start the ball rolling. And then somebody else steps into the mix. And I think this happens a lot. You find this often with people who are involved in committees or generally community work. So somebody else steps into the picture. Either they were co-opted onto a committee or they were introduced to the idea or they happened to be in the same circle. And then they step in, become part of the team, and at some point they take the lead and carry this idea to its fruition. So you've got two people, really. You've got the person who initiated the idea. That means to say, without them, this idea would never have hatched. And then you've got the other person who consummated the idea, who made sure that it came to be. So the question is, who do you think would be the person we should say, they made this idea happen? <laughs> it's funny because obviously it's easy to say both of them and I think that that might be the default answer that most people will give but let's try and just split this for a second in other words the question is what's more valuable is it more valuable to start a process or is it more valuable to be the person who sees the process through now I know that depending on the kind of personalities that different people have, you'll probably be more uh, biased towards one than the other. So some people will love the concept of the initiator, and some people will much prefer the concept of the culminator. So that's my question. Who do you think? Who do you think carries... I don't want to say takes the credit, because you've got to be careful with taking the credit. Sometimes credit is misplaced. There's some very controversial stories out there. There are claims, for example, that, that Facebook wasn't Mark Zuckerberg's idea, that it was a, another fellow in his dorm or at his college who came up with this idea of a social media. But at the end of the day, who gets the credit? We all know that in our world, we relate to things you can see, we relate it to things that are tangible, and so typically the person who brings it to market is the person who's going to get the credit. So this is not a question about credit. It's a question about who made it happen. Who actually made it happen? Was it the person who came up, who had the light bulb moment, who initiated the thought, 
Or will it be the person who took that thought and fertilized it and allowed it to grow? So I'd love to hear your thoughts on that. And, of course, you can share your opinion by SMS on 34519. You can send us a message on Telegram on 0618951019. You can always... As always, you can tweet at Chai FM. You can tweet me directly at Rabbi Shish. I know that a lot of people like to use social media, particularly on this show. Maybe it's just generally. You can email on air at ChaiFM.com. What do you think? Have you ever had that experience personally? Where either you were the person who initiated an idea But you didn't quite know how to translate it into practical terms And then somebody else came along and assisted you with that And then everybody looks at them and says Wow, amazing, look what that person did Or the reverse Perhaps you're the person who finished something off And everybody says, yeah, but it was somebody else's idea So I'm curious about it because Various things that happen in our lives and various the interactions that we have with people actually sit on the edge of this particular conversation. Is it the uh, achievement of the person who started the ball rolling or is it the achievement of the person who got the ball through the goals? I think about it a lot um, in, in context of certain, you know, maybe more lighthearted, but let's say for argument's sake you've got a major sports event. So we've all just recently had the World Cup soccer. And you think about a team that plays through the qualifying rounds and the quarterfinals and semifinals. And and eventually they come to the final. And it's in the whatever it is, the, you know, five minutes before the end of the match. And then there's a substitution. And here's a guy who's been on the bench the whole way through the tournament who really did not contribute to get the team to that particular Phase of the tournament He was there He was available If the team would have needed him But practically He didn't actually Put boots on the field He didn't actually Touch a ball Now in the last Five minutes He comes onto the field He's part of that squad That wins the tournament And suddenly he gets All the glory Man of course you could say Well you know The whole team takes the glory Including the people Who don't get onto the field At all And uh, Agreed Question is How do you balance this kind of thing? How do you balance the person who initiates and the person who culminates? And in your own life, how do you balance the value of things that you start but they don't necessarily finish or the things that you finish but you didn't necessarily start them? And you'll see in a moment why it is that that, that's something which I think is relevant to to uh, discuss at this time of the year. Needless to say, I'm not surprised at all that there were immediately people saying, here's Matan saying both. My question was, who gets to be considered the person who made it happen, the person who initiated or the person who culminated? So Matan says both. Arno says not just both, he says teamwork, which is a really good point because isn't that exactly what teamwork is about, that everybody shares in making it happen? Isn't it also the reality that many members of a team are not recognized in spite of the fact that they contribute? So teamwork, nice. We all believe in it. Hopefully we work together in teams. The question is, does that necessarily mean that you're considered the person in society's eyes or even if you're in your own eyes to be the person who made it happen? Sometimes it feels like it's just feel-good stuff. You know, oh, don't worry. We value you. You are part of the team. But at the end of the day, you're behind the scenes and nobody else knows about it. So I'm curious. 
Do we give extra weight to the person who carries the grand idea to fruition, or do we acknowledge the person who initiates it properly? What are your thoughts on 34519? Join Rabbi Ari Shishler for some fresh thinking every Thursday from 2 to 3 p.m. 101.9 High FM, 101.9 megahertz of power. Okay, so the question, now here's another one, another person saying uh, both. <clears throat> Not so surprising. My question today is, if you have two people who are involved in a particular process, one person is the initiator, one person is the person who came up with the idea, the other person is the person who carried it across the finish line, who, who would you say is the one who made it happen? I did expect that a lot of people were going to say both, and... <clears throat> Maybe I should have also expected this response on Twitter. This is uh, capitals, all capitals. The following four words are all written with capitals. The big guy upstairs. <laughs> and, yeah, I think that that's probably also one of the typical responses that we would have expected from people when people say, well, yes, of course, everybody had a role to play, but God made it happen. Okay? Um, is that... Is that maybe a cop-out answer? Is it something that we really, really relate to? Or is it something that we just say, that's not where God made it happen? I'm not asking that. God makes everything happen, and nevertheless, he still allows us to have the opportunity to take some kind of credit for the things that we contribute. Otherwise, it would have no value. So when we put in effort and we achieve things, God recognizes our effort. Yes, it's with his blessing that we succeed in doing those things, but not to take away. He never robs us of the value of our contribution. Here's an unsigned SMS that says, depends on the specific situation. I think that's true. I think it does depend on the situation. I'd love you to just give us a little bit more about that. Can you give an example of a, a situation that would weigh it one way or a situation that would weigh it the other way? Because I do agree it could sometimes be quite situational. And speaking about situations, let me give you a situation where we can uh, examine this. In fact, it has to do with the Torah reading. We're going to be reading this coming Shabbos. Now, we do know that this time of the year, and yes, we're getting like really close to Yontav. So at this time of the year, we're reading those pieces of the Torah, which is basically Moses telling us the story about what happened through the 40 years in the desert. And one of the things that happens over there is that he talks about how we are expected by God to do a mitzvah completely. You know, it's not just to start it, not just to finish it, which starts a whole conversation. But we, I said I'll give you a scenario. See, here's a scenario. When the Jewish nation was taken out of Egypt, right? So just picture this. This is the moment of the Exodus. The moment of the Exodus is this incredible time. I mean, you can, you can hardly imagine what it must have been like to have been a Jew in Egyptian slavery. And now, boom, boom, ten plagues, miracle after miracle. The next thing, godly revelation, message from Moses. Go and take the following steps in order to be able to get out of Egypt. Now, one of the steps was that they were expected to go to their neighbors and to claim payment for the 200 plus years of slavery. And they did. So picture the scene. You, your father, your grandfather, your great-grandfather, everybody you have ever known in your family has been slaves to this particular nation. Now it's time to go and you're told that you're entitled to approach the Egyptians and to ask them for payment. And you do. And that's what happened. So everybody was busy schlepping, collecting, packing gold, silver, valuables, except for one person. And that person was Moses himself. So where was Moses when all of this was going down? I mean, everybody's 
packing their bags and we're told that they had like 15 donkey loads of valuables by the time they left. That's each individual leaving Egypt. So everybody's stuffing their pockets. Where's Moses? So the Talmud tells us, if you recall, Joseph, before he died, it's recorded in the Torah, left one request, and that was that he should be buried in Israel. So here everybody's collecting gold and silver, and Moses is on the lookout trying to track where Joseph's remains are located. And that's what he does. And there are various versions of the story of exactly where he found him. But eventually he finds Joseph's remains, and he proceeds to put in a plan in place to be able to take Joseph's remains out of Egypt, which he does. For the next 40 years, now that's an incredibly long time to be looking after something for somebody else. For the next 40 years, Moses is constantly vigilant over Joseph's remains, make sure that it's being looked after, that there's a team always on duty to accompany that particular coffin, carry it through the desert, make sure that Joseph makes his way all the way to the promised land. At the border of the promised land, we all know what happens to Moses. He doesn't get the note. And Moses is unable to fulfill a 40-year project. Can you picture this? For 40 years, he's worked on this thing. Not only for 40 years, but initially when he began the project was at a time that nobody else was interested in being part of it. And he did it. Comes the last stretch. God says, sorry, no entry. You are not uh, authenticated to go inside. You've got to stay outside the land of uh, of Israel. And that's it. And a team of, quite frankly, young whippersnappers, young Jewish people who were not even old enough to know what was going on when they left Egypt, they take over the project. They carry Joseph's remains across the border, across the Jordan River, to the town of Shechem, and they organize the burial of Joseph in Shechem. And you know how the Torah records it? It records it as, the children of Israel brought Joseph to his final resting place. What? Moses worked on this project for 40 years. For 40 years. He gave up the opportunity to amass wealth like everybody else did. Because at that time, he was looking to fulfill the last will of Joseph. And he, okay, fair enough. It wasn't even his fault that he couldn't finish it. I mean, I can understand if there's somebody who's a little bit uh, negligent. They they had a responsibility and then they didn't follow that responsibility. So I get it. Under those circumstances, you can say you lost, you lose the opportunity. You you know you, you weren't there when that when it was critical time. And this is the kind of conversation that happens, I suppose, time from time to time in relationships. You weren't there when it counted. Yes, I know you've been around for so long, but you weren't there when it counted. But here, it wasn't his fault. It was God who decided that Moses wasn't going into the land, and it's only because of that he was in a position that he was unable to bring Joseph to burial. Nevertheless, not a mention, nothing, no credit to Moses. The way that we know that Moses was the person who got uh, Joseph's bones out of Egypt, you know, it's, it's kind of like an oblique reference, but when it comes to the main culminating moment, he's out of the picture. How could that be? How's that fair? Don't you think you should give some credit to the person who started? I do 100% agree that if a person starts a business and leaves it unfinished because they just can't get their act together, we can't give them the credit for having done it. But if it's circumstances beyond their control, 
If something happens that they really had every single intention of doing this thing right, but circumstances beyond the control, what do we rip the title away from them completely? What if somebody was working on a cure for some dread disease, and then unfortunately for them they contract the disease and they die before the cure is absolutely formulated, and some other guy under study comes along and he fixes it? Are we going to ignore the person who spent all that work and all that time and research and effort and investment to be able to get us to that particular point and say, well, this is unfortunately died before the finish? So as far as we're concerned, he doesn't exist. Who? Who would ever think along those lines? And yet, it sounds like that's the kind of thing that happened to Moses. So that's why it's a question. That's why it's a question that I think every one of us has to ask. Not because of Moses. Not because there's a piece of history that seems to be unfair, because we could probably find others. But because it raises the question about ourselves. Raises the question about things that we do. Where does the value lie? Does the value lie in the things we start? Does the value lie in the things we finish? Is it a greater asset to society? Or is it a greater investment in your spiritual growth to be the person who creates uh, some kind of movement, some kind of dynamic, or to be the person who rounds it off? And sometimes the person who rounds it off is, is absolutely unqualified, actually. Sometimes you need that genius to be able to make things start processing in people's minds. And then you just need somebody who has a technical skill and knows how to put the last pieces together. Boom, everything works. And now he should take all the credit. It's an interesting one to think about. I'd love to hear your thoughts on 34519. Otherwise, you can send us a message on Telegram 0618951019. And keep those tweets coming at Chai FM or directly at Rabbi Shish. So, as we are halfway through the show, question for you today is, who, who really counts when it comes to getting something done? The person who initiates, the person who had the idea in the first place, or the person who consummates, the person who finish it off, finishes it off, makes sure that it actually happens. And I'm giving you an example over here from the Torah about Moses and how it is that Moses put so much effort into arranging the movement, the the, the, the uh, transportation of Joseph's remains to Israel, yet he does not get the credit for having done it because at the end he wasn't able to finish the job. Uh, yes, Chaim. Chaim says, Hamaisa So for those who are not familiar with the terminology, Chaim is saying that the most important thing is action, although study is considered is considered or compared, I suppose, to all of the um, <laughs> interesting things coming through to all of the mitzvahs of the Torah. So, in other words, I think what he's saying is that the person who starts it off, starts the process, is somehow like a person who's studying Torah. But the most important thing is action, and it does sound that way from the story of Moses. Sounds like the person who does the action at the end really counts, but. Moses did plenty of action, so I don't think you can divide it along those lines. Here's somebody on Twitter, Brooke on Twitter says, both, you ask hard questions, okay? <laughs> Maybe that's not a bad thing, gets us to think, does it not? Anyway, uh, so let's put this from a different perspective. Different perspective? Here's a different perspective. It's just, I know people don't like to hear this, but this is the reality. It's just over five weeks until Rosh Hashanah. For, for me, to be perfectly honest, it's, um, 
it's the time of the year when things actually get exciting. You know, Yom Tov's coming, that means people are going to be around, there's a lot of activity, but for many people, Yom Tov is quite a scary time of the year. So Yom Tov's coming up, just over five weeks to go, and it makes me think about, well, here you've got the story of Moses, right? Okay, so Moses starts a process, it's a fantastic process, he doesn't get to finish it, not because of any other reason except that God gets in the way, and as a result of that, he loses being able to be given the credit for the the, the activity that he did, it was a mitzvah that he did, and he doesn't get the credit because he didn't finish it. It makes me think, five weeks to go until Rosh Hashanah. Think back now. Let's think back to last year's Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur. Undoubtedly, at least some of us were inspired during the high holiday period. And if you were inspired, it is possible maybe even likely, that you were so inspired as to say, I'm going to do something differently this year. I'm going to become a better fill in the blanks. I'm going to be a better father. I'm going to be a better spouse. I'm going to be more learned. I'm going to be more attentive to the people who are important in my life. I'm going to be more disciplined. I'm going to be more focused. I'm going to be more spiritual. I'm going to study more. I'm going to do more mitzvahs, give more charity, whatever. We all get bitten by the resolution bug when it is the beginning of a new year. Now, we're on the other end of that year. It's winding down. The Jewish year is really at its tail end. Now you've got to ask yourself the question, hey, hang on a second. How well have I done? How well have I done on any of those undertakings, self-promises, resolutions? They were great at the time. They were really exciting. And to be perfectly honest, there was probably a time, not long after Yom Tov, where I was gung-ho. I was full steam ahead. I was doing this thing. It was happening. I felt good about myself. I was able to carry a resolution for longer than any time previously in my experience. Okay. And now? It's hard. It's hard to see things through. It's not so difficult to start things. Yes, it's challenging to initiate things. That's challenging. Not everybody is a creative. Not everybody comes up with wonderful, exciting new things. Fair enough. But every one of us is an initiator. We all have stuff in our lives that we start. You start a project. You start a diet. You start a program. You start to read a book. All of us. We all have projects that we start. And it's a little embarrassing, I suppose, when we are introspective and we look at how many of those things are still dangling in midair. We started them, but we haven't quite completed them. Sound familiar? Definitely familiar to me, I'll tell you that much. So now it's this time of the year, and you start saying, whoa, 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 hang on a second, do I get credit for having started? Or does everything hinge on whether or not I've finished it? We're going into the month of Elul in just over a week's time. That's a time to take stock, to be introspective on the whole year that was. And there is absolutely no question about it that we will all have some holes in the tapestry we thought we were going to have this past year. We all will have some things that we swore to ourselves that we'd be better at. And at the end, we were not necessarily so good at them. So now you come to this time of the year and you say... Okay, so I know I didn't get 10 out of 10. Maybe I got 7 out of 10. Maybe I got 4 out of 10. Is that worth something? Do I get some kind of value for having started a process, but I was unable to finish it either because I bit off more than I could chew or because circumstances arose in my life that I wasn't expecting or because I was negligent? It's possible. Lazy. Distracted. 
So is that all null and null and void? When I arrive at Rosh Hashanah this year, do I have to go back to the same resolution as last year because I didn't get off the... Uh, I got out of the, the starting blocks. I did. But I didn't get that far this year. So it's all cancelled. Or for those people who are really worried that Rosh Hashanah is the day of judgment, so God's looking, tallying, working out everything that we did in the past year. Is this part of the tally? Is it not part of the tally? What percentage of a mitzvah do you have to actually do in order for it to be counted? Do you have to get 10 out of 10? Are there points for trying? Well, when you look at that story of Moses, it it sounds like, wow, things are pretty harsh up there. In God's world, either you carry it over the finish line or you're completely overlooked. Moses works for four years. Sorting out Joseph's remains doesn't get to enter the land of Israel. As a result, another group of people, we don't even know who they are. They're just referred to generically as children of Israel. They take that coffin. They bury Joseph's remains. They get all the credit. Wow. What does that say for me? What does that say for the ideas I had, the initiatives I started, the resolutions I took but never finished? Are they absolutely worthless? Scary thought, if it is the case, I certainly hope that that is not the way that God looks at it, but who knows? And that's why I ask the question, who gets the credit? Is there value? Is there something to be said for starting something without finishing it? You, if you have a look in the Torah, Torah uses an expression that says that you have to do kol ha-mitzvah, which you might have thought meant you have to do all of the mitzvahs, but we know that that's not possible. Some mitzvahs are only for men. Some mitzvahs are only for women. Some mitzvahs are only in Israel. Some mitzvahs could only apply at an earlier time in history. Some mitzvahs you may never have the circumstances to ever fulfill. So what does it mean when it says kol ha-mitzvah, that you've got to do direct translation? The whole mitzvah. That's what the Torah says. When there's a mitzvah in your hands, complete it. The Talmud picks up on exactly that theme. And the Talmud says that if a person begins doing something, particularly something which is positive, finish it. See it through. In fact, the Talmud is harshly critical of Yehuda, Judah, one of the ten, one of the twelve tribes, one of the sons of Jacob, because he started a good thing and did not see it through. That the Talmud is so critical of him for not having seen the mitzvah to fruition. Not only is it critical, but it identifies that certain parts of his life fell apart as a result of the fact that he did not complete what he had started. Could you only imagine if that was what we were worried about? That our life might fall apart because we didn't see a particular thing through? Then we'd be falling apart every few minutes. What do you think? Three, four, five, one, nine. So Frequency Footwear Melrose Arch is having a massive sale. If you want to experience craftsmanship at a massive discount, you'll be happy to know that Frequency Footwear has just launched their winter sale, offering 50% off all winter shoes, boots, and booties. Frequency shoes import from Spain, Italy, France, Greece, and Portugal, and are well known for their unique style and their magnificent shoes that are designed with comfort and durability in mind, 
while their service is personal and attentive. It's time to claim the 50% discount. Frequency Shoes are giving away a 3,000 Rand voucher to their store. All you have to do is take a selfie in front of the Frequency store, frequency Shoes store in Melrose Art and send it to info at chaifm.com. You've got to do that today because the competition closes today for exclusive style and quality Frequency footwear in the Galleria Miller's Arch is the place for you. So if you've just tuned in, you're wondering what are we talking about today? Well, the question today is, there seem to be a few places in the Torah, and they all seem to indicate that if you start a good thing, you start a mitzvah, but you don't see it through to fruition, then kind of you lose. You lose the credit, you lose the merit, and that sounds a bit harsh, don't you think? So let's let's just think about this for a second. I mean, do, do you really think that that's the way God operates? And I think it's relevant to us because, as I mentioned before, we're now at the time of the year where we're gearing up for Rosh Hashanah. It's on the horizon, and you can't help but think, hey, last year Rosh Hashanah, I said I was going to do a whole lot of really great things, spiritual things, meaningful things, and do them. So, oh, I didn't finish them. I did them for X amount of time, but I didn't see it through to the whole year. Are they all absolutely cancelled out? So, here's another angle on it. Another angle, just, just to give us some perspective. You've got the Jewish nation. It's a piece of Jewish history, right? You've got the Jewish nation freed from slavery in Egypt, goes through the desert for 40 years, and before the 40-year thing, we know that there was a serious breakdown in the society. And we'll come back to that in a moment. Just hold that thought. There was a serious breakdown in the story of the, of the spies. I'll come back to that in a moment. Just hold that thought. And now they go through the desert for 40 years, and eventually comes the time where they get to cross over into the land of Israel. Now, when they crossed over the Jordan River and they entered the land of Israel, how did that come to be? Was that something that they could say that they had earned, or was that just purely a matter of something that God had promised them so you could argue it both ways logically it's a promise God promised Abraham Isaac and Jacob that I will give this land to you and your descendants forever and there you go it's the promise he that's what's called the promised land he told them they're gonna get this land they did get this land yay fantastic that's what you need you got the land did they earn it well we don't seem to have clear evidence anyway that they earned it we do have clear evidence though that there was a group of people who lost the opportunity back to that debacle what was the story with the spies here was a group of people that God had promised them that they're going into the land and then they turned around and said oh no this can never happen it's a terrible place the land swallows its inhabitants the, 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 the locals are too powerful nobody could conquer this land not even God himself could conquer this land everybody falls to pieces and then God says okay in that case, you, you, this group of people, you're not going into the land. It's not going to happen for you. <laughs> See that? It's possible to lose the opportunity. It's possible to lose the opportunity to get the land. That tells you, logically, if you have the power to lose the opportunity, naturally, you have the power to earn the opportunity, right? It's two sides of the same coin. If you have the opportunity to break something, you have the opportunity to repair things. If you have the opportunity to harm, you have the opportunity to help. So seeing as we've identified in the Torah that they had the opportunity to be able to break, to lose, to disqualify themselves 
from going into the Holy Land, that implies that they also had the opportunity to earn their spot in the Holy Land. By the way, that's not a surprise because generally speaking, the way that God runs His world is He likes to give us the opportunity to earn our keep. Not just to lay it all on gratis. He likes us to do things, things that are challenging, things that make us go against our own grain in order to be able to turn around afterwards and say, what I got, I deserve, and therefore I appreciate it, I resonate with it. So, they earn the rights to get into the Holy Land of Israel. So, now, now let's look at the end of the story. Forty years later, they're about to cross into the Land of Israel. Question is, who's going in? Who's going into the Land of Israel? Well, we know. We know who's going in would be the group of people who at the time that the Jews left Egypt... They were under the age of 20. Because we know that there was a decree for all adults, adult males actually, between the ages of 20 and 60. Those were typically the people who bought into the terrible negativity of the spies. Those are the people who were going to be banned from entering the, the land. So that implies that anybody who was going into the land now had to have been younger than 20 years old when all of this exodus happened. So, here's an interesting thing. What would happen, theoretically, what would happen theoretically, if you had a guy who was 16 years old at the time of the spies debacle? Why do I say 16 years old? Because he's under the age of 20, so he's not going to be one of those people who gets caught up in the, de- in the decree that follows the spies. In other words, he's going to be allowed into the land of Israel. But he's a 16-year-old, and we know that teenagers can be quite opinionated, and he has an opinion. This 16-year-old has an opinion. He thinks the spies are right. He thinks that this access to the land of Israel never going to happen. Does he deserve to get into the land? Funny question, right? Does he deserve to get into the land? Well, strictly speaking, not. Strictly speaking, it's people who had issues with God's promise. Those are the people who were decreed to die in the desert, but he's got a little bit of a loophole over here. He's underage. So what I'm saying is you're going to have a guy who's going to land up at the end of the story entering the land of Israel, even though at the time when it was critical to start the process, he was absent. When it was time to end the process, he happens to be present. In other words, at the time of the spies, he was like, oh no, this is never going to work. But at the time where he can see the land of Israel is going to become a reality, suddenly he's on board. Same theme. Same thing we've been talking about. Look at that. Here's somebody who did not initiate the process, who did not necessarily put in all the effort, but just happens to be in the right place at the right time, doing the right thing, and voila, he gets it. So, which one is it? Is it the person who puts in the time to get things rolling who deserves to share in the experience, the glory, the reward, the credit? Or is it the person who gets in at the last minute? Is it the person who made a wonderful resolution last year on Rosh Hashanah that they were going to be X, I was going to improve myself in this particular, that way, whatever the case is, and you did it for six months, but now, five months before, sorry, five weeks before Rosh Hashanah, you've fallen off that bandwagon. Does that count? What about the person who wakes up and says, Oh my gosh, five weeks till Rosh Hashanah. I better get involved now. I haven't done a thing for the last 11 months, but I'm going to cram it all in at the end. And, and, and that's going to qualify. Do, do you think that works? 
Do you think that's fair? I mean, it's not some kind of a metric exam where at the end of the day you might successfully cram and that might get you to a point where you are able to get marks and pass the exam. You can't play games with God. Does it work? Or doesn't it work? Which one is it? What's more valuable? Is it more valuable where you stand just before Rosh Hashanah? Or is there value in where you stood just after Rosh Hashanah last year? And this might have a great influence on how you go into the coming Rosh Hashanah. How are you going to plan things? What are you going to think? What kind of value are you going to ascribe? I have to hear your thoughts. Join Rabbi Ari Shishler for some fresh thinking every Thursday from 2 to 3 p.m. 101.9 High FM, 101.9 megahertz of power. So, in summary, the people at the beginning have said both, well, you do have a point. I have to acknowledge that you, you do have a point. What I mean, well, at the end of the day, this is how we're supposed to look at it. There are two states that a person is in at any given time. There's the state that we call in the language of Torah, we call it the Lichatchila state. That means to say the way things should be before you launch a process. Then there's the Bedi Evid state. That's how things turn out at the end, which is not always in line with how you expected it. So when it comes to Rosh Hashanah, my attitude has to be, I am going to start a process. That's what you have to focus on. You are not expected to focus on, I'm going to complete the process. It, it's certainly the ideal. But I'm going to s- focus on starting the process because there is a value in getting a good thing off the ground. Then the day after Rosh Hashanah, then I've got to think to myself, so what am I doing today to get that process to move forward? And then the next day, the same thought. In other words, while you're in the process, you have to always say to yourself, I have a responsibility to keep the process alive. It's not sufficient to initiate. My job is as long as I have the capacity, I've got to keep pushing. I've got to keep growing. I've got to keep moving. But now it's this time of the year. And it's a few weeks to go to Rosh Hashanah. And I didn't do any of those things. Now I'm in the Biddy Everett situation. That means to say, things are not how they were supposed to be. I promised myself a whole bunch of things last year, Rosh Hashanah. And now, guess what? It didn't happen. Or it happened for a short period of time and then it petered out. And now I'm stuck coasting along with little or no enthusiasm or input or meaning. Well, then we say, guess what? It's possible to come in at the last minute and take all the credit. But for somebody else's actions, that's dishonest. For our own. It's possible for this last stretch until Rosh Hashanah to take the value and credit of everything that was supposed to happen until now. Meaning to say that everything that I should have done in the past year but didn't exactly do, it's not like zero value. Everything I did has value. And everything I do now might have enough value to recalibrate and redefine what the whole of last year was about. So that's the thing. Very often you'll hear people saying, okay, well, it's almost Rosh Hashanah. I'll get a new start then. Then I'll try again. Then I'll make resolution. No, 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 no. you got now. In fact, all you've got is now. You don't know what's going to be tomorrow. Certainly not after Rosh Hashanah. you got now. And so the attitude of Judaism is to say, what you could do now could be so meaningful, so valuable, that it could literally give value to the whole year that came until now. Don't squander it. Don't waste it. 
take this opportunity. It's called today. It's Hashem's gift. And it gives us a wonderful opportunity to grow ourselves, to make life meaningful. And sometimes what's really necessary, to reconstitute everything that was. That's called Teshuvah. So with that in mind, I hope that you have a meaningful and uplifting Shabbos coming. This Shabbos blesses the month of Elul. And let's hope that we're all able to reconstitute the year that was to be able to bring out the last big brochas that the year still has to offer us.